Welcome, I'm Prudence Robertson and this is EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. Marching into a post-row America, tens of thousands of pro-life advocates marched down the streets of Washington, D.C. for a historic March for Life event, all of them demanding protection for babies in the womb. President of the March for Life, Jeannie Mancini, joins us to reflect on the first march after Roe. Pro-abortion push. In an effort to advocate for the death of babies, Vice President Kamala Harris receives a lot of heat for omitting an important detail from the Declaration of Independence. Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America's Katie Glenn, reacts to the out-of-touch remarks. Mark Houck update. The pro-life father of seven faces trial this week for allegedly harassing a pro-abortion escort outside of Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider. Catholic News Agency correspondent Joe Bacurus is in Philadelphia this week monitoring the trial in real time. He joins us for analysis. Tens of thousands of people participated in this year's historic March for Life, whether by marching here in the nation's capital or watching our coverage at home. The 50th annual March for Life was the first march since the fall of Roe vs. Wade back in June of 2022. The theme of this year's event was Next Steps, Marching into a Post-Roe America. American actor Jonathan Rumi gave the keynote speech at the rally and encouraged marchers to stay close to the sacraments and be reminded that we are armed with God's victory at every moment. Joining me now is Jeannie Mancini, president of the March for Life. Jeannie, thank you so much for being here with me. What are your personal reflections on this year's March? This was the first year that the route was different. Talk to us about, about why. Oh, yeah, it, it was a great, just a, a beautiful day and um, crowds. I mean, there was a little bit of a question heading into this year about um, the, you know, do we need to keep marching? We were asked this so many times, Prudence, and I, I knew the answer in my heart, but I felt by God's divine providence and the many, many others who were there at the march this year that that was emphatically answered. Um, and so as for the root change, of course, um, we've typically gone straight to the Supreme Court. This year, we took a little bit of a detour and um, went past the Capitol in a particular way to show the uh, the returned role of our elected officials and really the American people through their elected officials, both at the state and the federal level. Sure, an important detour for sure. And let's talk about... Um, this year's keynote speaker a little bit more, Jonathan Rumi, he stars as Jesus in the hit TV series, The Chosen. And he shared in a post on Instagram that he's never really spoken out about this issue before. So what did it mean to you to have him there that day? Well, I'm a huge fan of The Chosen. And so I was delighted to have Jonathan Rumi, but nothing <laughs> could have prepared me for how profound and how deep he was and uh, how special and important this, this particular uh, issue is to him. He struggled to say yes, but he really felt that the Lord was asking him to do this. And um, he was the keynote for our Rose Dinner and just one of the headliners. Uh, we also had Coach and Lauren Dungy, you know, at the, at the National March, along with many others. But uh, 
unlike past years, I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with our keynote. So I really feel like I got to know Jonathan a little bit and I was just truly blown away by the man of God that he is. And um, particularly something that he said in his address to the marchers, which is that he's promised God that if he ever hears an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he will say yes mm. to it. And so we, we kind of did a deep dive on what that looks like and how hard that is, but how that allows for you to live the best adventure of a life. Mm, what a courageous witness for sure. And Jeannie, I know we probably don't have an exact count yet, but by your estimate, how many people were in D.C. marching last week? Well, it's true that we don't have an exact count. We often collect data points from WMATA, which is our metro system here in D.C., and then the mm -hmm. bus permitting office and other places, too. But um, I will say this, that judging from the rally crowd, it was bigger, I would say, than the last five years or so. Of course, we've had a few things going against us with the pandemic, um, et cetera, in the last few years, but it was huge. Um, maybe the largest rally size that I've ever seen in my time, this was my 11th um, March being the president of the March for Life. Wow. It was enormous, way bigger than I was expecting. Yeah, so encouraging to see that the pro-life movement was out in full force. And Jeannie, before I let you go, I know that the Virginia March for Life is coming up next week, and we all hope that our Virginia viewers will attend. Can you give us a sneak peek of what, uh, what to expect that day? Oh, yeah. So this will be our fifth March in Virginia, my home state, and um, it's coupled up with all sorts of great advocacy events hosted by the dioceses. So check it out at marchforlife.org and just look at the drop down menu on the state marches. But um, we'll be at the Capitol again there in Richmond on February 1st. So would love to have you join us. Perfect. Those state marches are more important now than ever. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeannie Mancini of the March for Life. Thanks for having me. While hundreds of thousands of people were in D.C. marching for life, Vice President Kamala Harris was at a nightclub in Tallahassee, Florida, giving an obscenely pro-abortion speech. So we will continue to stand together in the fight to protect the freedom and liberty of all people, of all women everywhere. And here now, on this 50th anniversary, let us resolve to make history and secure this right. When quoting the Declaration of Independence in her speech, she omitted the key words, the right to life. She also repeatedly referred to the killing of unborn babies as, quote, care that women need. Some groups, including Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, said her remarks were out of touch. President Joe Biden also issued an extreme proclamation on abortion on the day of the March for Life. Katie Glenn of SBA Pro-Life America joins me now to talk more about the White House's grievous abortion agenda. Katie, thanks for joining me. Let's start by unpacking this abortion proclamation by President Biden. In it, he referred to Roe versus Wade as a, quote, balanced decision. Your reaction? Well, there is absolutely nothing about uh, balanced about Roe versus Wade. Uh, in 1973, it overrode this laws of 49 states. So that's not balance at all. That was the justices trying to force abortion on demand across the entire country, which they did successfully for almost 50 years. Mm. Uh, it's clear that this is the 
agenda of the Biden administration. Uh, Vice President Harris was pushing that here in Florida, even though our voters showed November, that's not what they want. So it's disappointing to see this message, but it's really more of the same from the most extreme pro-abortion administration that we've had. Sure. And speaking of extreme, the president has aggressively been pushing to reinstate Roe versus Wade. I have to ask you, is this a possibility, given how determined he is in his agenda, that, that he could somehow reinstate Roe? Well, the Supreme Court has said this is an issue for the elected branches. Our Congress is uh, closely divided, but it would not pass a bill, anything like the pro-abortion agenda that he wants. It failed in the Senate last year. It barely passed in the House last Congress. The House is now um, has a majority of pro-life members and certainly is not going to be popular or voted into the law in most of our states. Uh, most states are going in the opposite direction. And even those states that call themselves very, very pro-abortion most of them don't go as far as Roe versus Wade did. Mm. So seven in 10 Americans um, approve of a law that would protect babies at 15 weeks or sooner. Joe Biden wants abortion on demand throughout pregnancy. Mm. Thanks for clarifying that. And, and let's focus now on Vice President Harris's speech. What struck you the most about the message that she conveyed? Well, I think we all know this, the absence of the right to life in the quote from the Declaration of Independence. Clearly, she doesn't think that there is any right to life for any of us, and certainly not for the unborn. Uh, she describes Florida's law as a ban, the same way they've described Senator Graham's 15-week bill in Congress. Floridians know better. We got ads about this all fall saying Florida banned abortion, Florida banned abortion. That's not what our law did. Our lawmakers were overwhelmingly and resoundingly reelected. So there's a mandate for our lawmakers here in Florida to protect life. And VP Harris needs to take her message somewhere else. Hmm. The vice president talked a lot about freedom, liberty, happiness, and care. Katie, let's be real about this. Does abortion accomplish any of those things for anyone? It absolutely doesn't. And what we've seen from this administration, especially in the last few weeks, is the complete removal of medicine from the abortion process. They want to send drugs through the mail. They don't care who they get to. They don't care if they're even sending them to a man who's going to slip them into somebody's drink. They want to push the sale of as many abortion pills as possible. So for them to talk about things like health care is completely the opposite of the policies that they're pushing. Mm. We have about a minute left, Katie. Talk to me about what's going on with uh, SBA's state, state program right now. I know it's growing. We are busier than ever. Um, we have taken the fight from Congress and the Supreme Court to all 50 states while staying in Congress. And, um, you know, we see the opportunities as great. There are a lot of states that want to pass laws that are providing um, better opportunities and more services for moms and families. There are a lot of states with the opportunity to pass more protective laws to protect babies earlier in gestation already. You can follow on uh, lifesavinglaws.com. We're keeping track of these. 15 pro-life laws are in place with another half dozen in the courts and more that can be accomplished legislatively. So even though the threats from Washington are great, the opportunities are great as well. Mm. Well, Katie, thanks so much for speaking so frankly about all of this and for joining us. A pleasure to have you as always. Katie Glenn from Thank SBA Pro-Life America. And Pro-Life Kansans held a statewide rally and March for Life to commemorate the National Day of Prayer for the Legal Protection of Unborn Children. Alan Holdren has that story for us. 
Kansas's first post-Roe March for Life. It's also the first major pro-life rally in Kansas since the no vote to last August's Value Them Both Amendment, which sought to put limits on abortion in the state. Today, as much as ever, there's reason to march for the unborn here. We're here in Kansas, of course, um, our Value Them Both Amendment failed um, back in August, and so we're here to continue to support um, all of our legislators who are here in the Capitol, who are working every day uh, to support life. So. That's why I'm here, to support them and to pray for them. So. It was rough, definitely a setback. I would call it spiritual warfare, but it doesn't mean that our fight is over. It just means you have to be more specific in the way that we fight. It's time to change. Uh, I'm really disappointed that our Kansas as a state voted incorrectly that last go around. We're trying to protect the mothers and the babies. Now the battle is up to the states and Kansas is not pro-life, so we really need to battle for Kansas. When Kansans went to the polls last August, the Value Them Both Amendment was on the ballot. It sought to limit a 2019 Kansas Supreme Court decision declaring abortion a right according to the state constitution, virtually lifting any limits, making abortion eligible for state funding, and rendering all legislation against abortion unconstitutional. That didn't mean that all pro-life legislation was immediately overturned, but it does mean that every single piece of existing legislation that protects the unborn in the state of Kansas is vulnerable to litigation. It's been six months since that no vote, but the disappointment here is still very fresh. This year we got to celebrate, first of all, the overturn of Roe versus Wade, which was an amazing victory. But we are kind of at a, at a difficult place in our state because we are having to build back from what we lost last year with our amendment loss. And so we really need to step up and say, we are not going away. Uh, we are here to support women and babies to the very end. And we will never abandon women and pre-born babies. In Kansas, the bishops have been very active in promoting the pro-life cause, actively supported and took on much of the costs of inviting Kansans to vote yes to the Value Them Both Amendment. They've got a strategy for the future here. It's to do everything we can and walking with moms in need, which is a, a national effort by the church, but it's it's particularly important here. So we're, we've uh, tried to get more resources to our pregnancy resource centers. We want to build up the services for those that might be in a difficult pregnancy to surround them with the community of support and love. Archbishop Nauman is reaching out to young people to be the new pro-life generation here, as the state's abortion numbers are quickly rising. There were many already coming, but there are even more coming to Kansas for abortions because some of our states around us, like Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, they are they have more protective laws for the unborn. So we're becoming, sadly, a destination state for abortion. And that's why, on the national front, Kansas has become a key state for the pro-life movement in post-Roe America. Pro-life activist Lila Rose, who gave the keynote at the pre-March rally, says she wanted to be here to show her support for Kansas pro-lifers. Kansas represents a battlefield, and it played out just a few months ago with Value Them Both, and it's continuing to play out as the people of the state are deciding, will we protect children here or not? And there's so many good people in, in Kansas who are passionate, who want to do the right thing, want to stand for life. And so I think their uh, relentlessness and willingness to persevere and be courageous despite the attacks will in many ways inspire or or make other states discouraged. So I, I, not to put too much pressure on Kansas, but what you're doing here is a huge, the rest of the country is watching.
As long as unborn life is threatened in Kansas, the movement here and the march will continue. And EWTN News contributor Alan Holdren joins me now to share even more. Alan, a few short months ago, thank you so much for joining us, by the way, our movement underwent a devastating loss on the value of the both amendment in Kansas. So what's the sentiment in Kansas now? I mean, we, we just saw, but talk to us about the recent march. How do you think all of this is going to play out? Just like every March, it was a joyful occasion. Uh, people getting together, seeing each other, maybe for the first time in a year uh, since the last March for Life. Um, it, it was one of hope, I would say. We're, we're down, but we're not out. Um, I, you know, it was an immediate reaction that came after that value. Then both amendment was, was voted down last August. Was that amongst the people that were part of the Kansans for Life? They had a watch party and, you know, the mood kind of went sour. But the, the immediate response was, this is not over. We're going to continue to fight this. Um, Archbishop Nauman, you know, he called on the younger generation to, uh, to step up. Uh, in uh, comments to me earlier uh, before the mass took place, uh, he said that the new generation needs to be on board with this because they are going to be voting for the next am amendment that comes up. Sure. And, and Alan, how do you think all of this pro-life momentum that we're seeing in the state right now counteracts the current laws that are there. I mean, because of the loss, there's a so-called right to abortion implied in the state's constitution. I think people are still pretty incredulous. Like, uh, you, you, we've always talked about Kansas as being a pro-life state. Um, a part of that was in the confusion after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Seems like people really didn't read the amendment fully or they really didn't understand the context in which it was being proposed. Um, if people knew uh, that just about any abortion would be legal in the state of Kansas um, if certain legislation was overturned, which that amendment not passing uh, allows for all of those to be open to, to litigation and to be overturned if they're brought up in a court. Uh, if they, they realize the extent of that, I'm, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have in majority voted uh, against that amendment. Mm. Um, you know, Kansans that showed up for the pro-life rally yesterday are in a minority. There weren't, you know, uh, so many people there that it was it was uh, representative of all of Kansas. Uh, but if people, if you talk to them in their homes, they would tell you, I'm, I'm sure in the majority, mm. that they really are pro-life. Sure, I see. And have you heard from legislators in the state about how they are working to advance more protections for babies right now? Yeah, actually, on the steps of the Capitol yesterday, there, there were uh, 30 to 40 different legislators, uh, people who were involved in the day-to-day -day of the Kansas State Legislature working uh, for the pro-life cause. Mm. Um, they do have uh, some things, the Kansans for Life uh, want to work with legislators on achieving certain things in the aftermath of this value than both amendment. Uh, one of them is to get more financing for pregnancy resource centers. There are more than 50 of them across the state of Kansas. Uh, and there are other states that give more money to their pregnancy resource centers than Kansas does. Mm. Um, they also want to get tax credits like exist in Mississippi or Missouri uh, in order to finance them better. Um, they want uh, children who are born alive during an abortion procedure to receive protection as human beings, to receive health care. Uh, and they also want information to be disseminated about how the abortion pill can be reversed uh, by another pill. Mm. Seems like the pro-life movement is alive and well there. Is there anything else to add about the rally and the march, Alan, before we let you go? 
Uh, it was, you know, in this week of prayer for Christian unity, it really was an ecumenical event. There were Lutherans for life there. There were evangelical preachers who led prayer. Um, it really was an occasion for everybody to get together. It was a huge Catholic contingent. Uh, I think we can build on that uh, here in the state of Kansas. It's just looking to your neighbor, looking to your friends, inviting one more person every year, and, and you know, you could have a huge demonstration of what I think is largely the public support for the right to life cause. Hmm. Well, Alan, thank you so much for continuing to track all of this important stuff going on in Kansas, an important state. Alan Holdren of EWTN News, thanks. Thank you, Prudence. And coming up, why people are thinking about boycotting two of the largest pharmacy chains in the nation as they plan to become DIY abortion centers. I speak out. And the trial of pro-life dad Mark Houck is underway in Philadelphia. Catholic News Agency correspondent Joe Bacurus is on the ground to bring us the latest. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. CVS and Walgreens have both announced that they are taking the necessary steps to be able to turn their pharmacies into abortion dispensaries. That is this week's Speak Out segment. You heard that right. The two largest pharmacy conglomerates in the country are getting into the abortion business. They know where the money's at. These pharmacies are literally on every corner, and soon they could all become abortion dispensaries. The danger that they are opening women up to by throwing abortion pills at them and instructing them to carry out a DIY abortion in their own bedroom or bathroom is nauseating. These women won't see a doctor before they take the pills, and before they know it could experience hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging severe pain, and even death. Not to mention the psychological and emotional toll such an experience takes. Many people have asked me, should we boycott CVS and Walgreens? We all have to follow our conscience on this. The situation is grave. As devout Catholics, we cannot be complicit with an industry that forsakes unborn babies and their mothers. Can these companies really justify selling abortions in the same way that they sell a tube of toothpaste right off the shelf? These drugs are designed to kill, and they will succeed in doing so if we don't find a way to put a stop to it. And for this week's Pro-Life Focus, we'll talk the latest in the trial of pro-life husband and dad, Mark Houck. Houck faces trial this week in Philadelphia. He has been charged with violating the FACE Act after protecting his son from an alleged altercation in 2021 outside of an abortion business. Houck was arrested by several FBI agents during a dramatic dawn raid on his home that traumatized his wife and seven children. Joe Bacurus is a correspondent at our sister publication, Catholic News Agency. He is in Philadelphia this week monitoring Hauk's trial to provide us with live updates and he joins us now. Joe, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to step away from the proceedings to speak with us. Can you update us on what's happening in the trial right now? Thanks for having me, Prudence. So today opening arguments began. So the prosecution let off and they gave their argument about how Mark Hauk allegedly uh, approached uh, Bruce Love is, is now the name we know of the Planned Parenthood clinic escort. Um, and they claim that he uh, approached Bruce Love and pushed him uh, to the ground once and uh, elbowed him a uh, second time. Hmm. Uh, we did see video uh, of the altercation, and we did see that uh, Hauk did push down 
uh, Bruce Love. Uh, it was after Love had approached Houck, uh, then walked away. It seems like there was some uh, words being exchanged uh, in the defense's opening statement. They said that Bruce Love was approaching Houck and harassing Houck's 12-year-old son, who was there with him, sidewalk counseling, handing out brochures to women. And so those are arguments that we're going to see further de developed uh, throughout the length of the trial. Um, it was interesting to see the video evidence today. Um, but what was interesting is we did not see video evidence of the first uh, alleged elbow push from Mark Houck to uh, Bruce Love. Mm. And the defense brought up that point in their argument, and they said that it's interesting. Why isn't that video there? Why didn't? Why don't we have it? Why do we have from the same camera the first push? Uh, I'm sorry, the second push, but not the first push. Mm. And he, it seems like to, he asked a, a rhetorical question to the jury and said, "Ask yourselves what's going on here. Use your common sense." So. You know, I'll let the viewers uh, decide what they what they think about that for themselves. Mm. But so far, there's only been one witness. It was the CEO of uh, Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania. And the conversation so far has been around what is the job and the responsibilities of a clinic escort. And um, the defense is uh, is making arguments that um, that Bruce Love actually violated Planned Parenthood's escort policies. And um, the prosecution seems like they're trying to defend um, uh, Bruce Love's uh, actions as, as an escort. So that's going to develop further today uh, during the cross-examination. Very interesting. And and could you explain exactly what the FACE Act is and, and how it could be violated? The FACE Act is a federal law. It was passed in the 90s. And it basically says that you cannot interfere with uh, someone or, uh, who is providing reproductive health services. So abortions. And um, in this case, what they're saying is that Bruce Love, a clinic escort, um, is attempting to provide reproductive uh, health services to uh, two women who he allegedly was leading into the clinic. And they say that by Mark Houck pushing him down, he therefore was trying to um, stop him from providing uh, reproductive health services. The defense says that uh, Houck was just defending his son from being harassed by uh, Bruce Love, who was 72 at the time of mm. the incident back in 2021. Hmm. Interesting. And talk to me about the energy around the courthouse leading up to this trial beginning. Were, were people around supporting Mr. Houck, opposing him? What's, what's it like there? Well, I haven't seen anyone opposing uh, Mark Houck, but I have seen a huge crowd of supporters out in front of the courthouse yesterday uh, when there was jury selection going on. There was a, uh, a big rally for Mark Houck. There were signs saying things like justice for Houck, uh, criticizing the Justice Department for uh, targeting pro-lifers. And there was it was filled with prayer and uh, songs. They were on their knees singing Amazing Grace. Mm. Uh, there was testimony from uh, members of Houck's family, uh, Mark Houck's mother-in-law, uh, Kathleen McCarthy, gave a, a strong testimony, uh, ending strongly with Mark Houck is the real deal. I mean, you can clearly tell that these are people of faith. These are people who have a strong trust in God. And it's not just Catholics, because Mark Houck is a strong Catholic. Um, one of the people leading the charge is, a, is a, an evangelical pastor who's been working with Mark Houck for over 20 years, he said. And uh, and he was there uh, leading the rally and um, inviting people up to speak, giving mm -hmm. his own testimony, leading prayer. In fact, even today in the courtroom, uh, I was sitting next to the pastor and, and Mark, during a break, came over to him and he said to him, uh, I'm 
something to the effect of, I'm honored to be in the courtroom with you today. And he asked the pastor to pray for him. And they both kind of embraced each other uh, right in the middle of the, in the courtroom. And and uh, the pastor started praying for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was Really, it was a really amazing thing to see. And the pastor said to me after that, you know, that just shows you how, how humble Mark Houck is. Mm, indeed. Yes. Yeah, seems like a man of faith. Well, Joe Bacurus of Catholic News Agency, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the rest of your week. Thanks, Prudence. And that does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.